Section 51 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 12, Part 6. Again, the wagon turned round the corner of a street. Here we are. This is Horanewos, I heard the doctor say, and he ordered the driver to stop. What are we to do with the lady? said Frau Simon complainingly. She will be rather a hindrance than any help. I collected myself. No, no, I said. I am better now. I will do all I can to help you. We found ourselves in the middle of the village at the gate of a chateau. We will first do here what there is to do, said the doctor. The chateau, which is deserted by its owners, must be filled from cellar to roof with wounded. We got out. I could hardly keep on my feet, but stiffened myself with all my force, so as not to give in. Forward, said Frau Simon. Have we all our luggage? What I am bringing with me will give the people some refreshment. There are restoratives and bandages in my box, too, said I. And my handbag contains instruments and medicines, added Bresser. Then we gave the needful orders to the soldiers who accompanied us. Two were to wait with the horses, and the others come with us. We passed under the gate of the chateau. Stifled sounds of woe proceeded from various sides. All was dark. Light. The first thing is to strike a light called out Frau Simon. Alas, we had brought all possible things with us, chocolate, meat essence, cigars, strips of linen, but no one had thought of a candle. There was no means of illuminating the darkness which surrounded us and the poor fellows. Only a box of lucifers, which the doctor had in his pocket, enabled us for a few seconds to see the terrible pictures which filled this abode of the wretched. The foot slipped on the floor, slippery with blood, if one tried to go on. What was to be done? To the hundred despairing men who were groaning and sighing here, a few more people had come to despair and sigh. What is to be done? What is to be done? I will find out the clergyman's house, said Frau Simon, or get some assistance somewhere else in the village. Come, doctor, you conduct me with your lucifer matches to the egress. And you, Frau Martha, remain here meanwhile. Here, alone, in the dark, amongst all these wailing people, in this stifling odor. What a situation! I shuddered to the marrow of my bones, but I said nothing against it. Yes, I replied, I will remain on this spot and wait till you come back with the light. No, cried Bresser, putting his arm through mine. Come with us. You must not be left behind in this purgatory, amongst men who may be in the delirium of fever. I was thankful to my friend for this speech, and clung tight to his arm. To stop behind in these rooms might perhaps have driven me mad with fear. Ah, I was still a cowardly, helpless creature, not brought up to the misery and the horror into which I had now plunged. Why had I not kept at home? Still, supposing I should find Frederick again, who could tell whether he might not be lying in these same dark rooms 
which we were just quitting. As we went out, I called out his name more than once, but the answer which I hoped for and feared, Here I am, Martha, was not returned. We got again into the open air. The wagon was standing in the same place. Dr. Bresser decided that I should get in again. Frau Simon and I are going meanwhile into the village to seek for aid, and you shall remain here. I willingly submitted, for my feet could hardly carry me. The doctor helped me to get up and arranged a convenient seat for me with the straw that was lying about. Two soldiers remained behind with the wagon. The rest, Frau Simon and the doctor, took along with them. After about half an hour, the whole expedition came back. No success. The parsonage was destroyed, like everything else, and empty. All the houses in ruins, no light to be obtained anywhere. So there was nothing else to be done except to wait till day dawned. How many of the poor wretches in whom our coming had already roused hope, and whom our aid might still have saved, might perhaps die during this night. What a long, long night that was though in reality only between three and four hours passed before sunrise, how endless these hours necessarily seemed to us, their course being marked not by the ticking of a clock, but by the helpless cries of fellow men for aid. At last the morning dawned. Now we could act. Frau Simon and Dr. Bresser took the road again to see whether they could rouse up some of the concealed inhabitants of the village. They succeeded. Out of the ruins here and there one or two peasants crawled forth, at first morose and distrustful. When, however, Dr. Bresser spoke to them in their own language, and Frau Simon urged them with her soft voice, they agreed to give their services. It was necessary before all things to recruit all the other hidden villagers so that they might help in the work. Bury the dead that were lying about get the wells into working order so as to procure water for the living, collect the field kettles that lay scattered about the roads so as to have vessels, empty the knapsacks of the slain and the dead, and use the linen they contained for the wounded. Now arrived also a Prussian staff surgeon with men and aid materials, and then the work of bringing help to these poor creatures could be undertaken with some success. Now the moment was come for me, too, when I might perhaps discover him, at whose fancied call I had undertaken this luckless journey, and whose recollection whipped up to some extent my failing powers. Frau Simon betook herself under the conduct of the Prussian surgeon, first to the chateau, where most of the wounded were lying. Dr. Bresser chose to search through the other places in the village. I preferred to keep with my friend, and went along with him. That Frederick was not lying in the chateau, the doctor had discovered by a previous look around it. We had hardly gone a hundred paces when loud cries of pain smote on our ears. They came from the open door of the little village church. We went in. There, more than a hundred men were lying on the hard stone pavement, severely wounded, crippled. With feverish, wandering eyes they shrieked and cried for water. I had nearly sunk down even on the threshold. Still, I walked through the whole row. I was seeking for Frederick. He was not there. Bresser, with his people, set themselves to attend to the poor fellows. I leaned against a side altar, 
and contemplated the scene of woe with infinite horror. And this was the temple of the God of love. These were the wonder-working saints who were there folding their hands so piously in the niches and on the walls, and lifting up their heads with the golden glories round them. O oh, Mother of God, Holy Mother of God, one drop of water, have mercy on me, I heard a poor soldier pray. That prayer he had probably been addressing all the day long to the gaudily painted dumb image. Oh, poor men, till you yourselves have listened to the command of love which God has put into your own hearts, you will always call in vain upon God's love. So long as cruelty is not overcome in your own selves, you have nothing to hope from the compassion of heaven. Ah, how much I had to see and to go through in the whole of this same day. It would in truth be the simplest way and the most pleasant to pursue the narrative no further. One shuts one's eyes and turns away one's head when something altogether too horrid presents itself. Even the recollection has the power to make one shut one's eyes. And if there is no more power to help, and what can be altered in this stony past? Why torture oneself and others by writing up these horrors? Why? I will answer the question afterwards. Now I can only say I must do it. More still, I will not merely tax my own memory that I may be able to relate what I have in view, for my powers of perception were far too weak to bear the burden of the events. But I will also add what Frau Simon, Dr. Bresser, and the Saxon inspector of field hospitals, Dr. Naundorf, told me. As in Horanoas, so also in many of the villages in this neighborhood, Hell had set up branch establishments. It was so in Sweti, in Radok, in Problos, so in Pardubitz, where, when the Prussians first took possession of it, over one thousand severely wounded men, operations and amputations, were lying about, some dying, some already dead, corpses mixed with those in the act of death, and those who envied them their end, many with nothing on but bloody shirts, so that no one could tell even what countrymen they were. All those who had still a spark of life in them were shrieking for water and bread, writhing with the pain of their wounds, and begging for death as a blessing. Rosnitz, writes Dr. Bauer in his letters, Rosnitz, a place whose picture will live in my memory till the hour of my death. Rosnitz, whither I was sent by the St. John Society six days after the murderous fight and where the greatest misery which the human fancy can picture was still raining down to that day. I found there R of ours with 650 wounded, who were lying in wretched barns and stables without any nursing in the midst of death and half-dead men, some of them lying for days in their own offer. It was here that after the erection of the funeral mound of the fallen Lieutenant Colonel von F., I was so overcome with pain that for an hour I poured out the hottest tears, and could hardly regain self-control in spite of the expenditure of all my moral force. Though as a medical man I am accustomed to look at human suffering in all its forms, and in the exercise of my profession have learned to bear the shrieks of tortured human nature, yet here in very truth tears which I could not repress welled from my eyes, 
It was here in Rusnitz that when on the second day I found that our powers were not equal to cope with such misery, I lost courage and left off dressing the wounds. In what condition were these six hundred men? It is Dr. Naundorf who is speaking this time. It is impossible to depict it accurately. Flies were feeding on their open wounds, which were covered with them. Their gaze, flaming with fever, wandered about, asking and seeking for some help, for refreshment, for water and bread. Coat, shirt, flesh and blood formed in the case of most of them one repulsive mass. Worms were beginning to generate in this mass and to feed on them. A horrible odor filled every place. All these soldiers were lying on the bare ground. Only a few had got a little straw on which they could repose their miserable bodies. Some who had nothing under them but clayey, swampy ground had half sunk into the mud it formed. They had not the strength to get out of it. Others lay in a puddle of horrible filth which no pen could consent to describe. En mas loved, so says Frau Simon, a place of about fifty houses, there were lying eight days after the battle about seven hundred wounded. It was not so much their shrieks of agony as their abandonment without any consolation which appealed to heaven. In one single barn alone, sixty of these poor wretches were crowded. Every one of their wounds had originally been severe, but they had become hopeless in consequence of their unassisted condition and their want of nursing and feeding. Almost all were gangrenous. Limbs crushed by shot formed now mere heaps of putrefying flesh. Faces a mere mass of coagulated blood covered with filth in which the mouth was represented by a shapeless black opening, from which frightful groans kept welling out. The progress of putrefaction separated whole mortified pieces from these pitiable bodies. The living were lying close to dead bodies which had begun to fall into putrefaction, and for which the worms were getting ready. These sixty men, as well as a greater number of the others, lay for a week in the same situation. Their wounds were either not dressed at all, or only in a most imperfect way. Since the day of the battle, they lay there, incapable of moving from the spot, only scantily fed and without sufficient water, the bedding under them corrupting with blood and excrement. That is how they passed eight days, living corpses through whose quivering limbs a stream of poisoned blood hardly circulated. They had not been able to die, and yet how could they expect ever again to return to life? Which is the more astonishing in this matter, says Frau Simon, in concluding her tale, the eternal living force of human nature, which could endure all this and yet go on breathing, or the want of efficient assistance? What is most astonishing, according to my way of looking at it, is that men should bring each other into such a state, that men who have seen such a sight should not sink on their knees and swear a passionate oath to make war on war, that if they are princes they do not fling the sword away, or if they are not in any position of power they do not from that moment devote their whole action in speech or writing, in thought, teaching, or business to this one end. Lay down your arms. 
End of section 51. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks.